Ladies and gentlemen, damas y caballeros, welcome to Siempre Palante. Welcome, mi gente, to Siempre Palante, Always Forward, a podcast that is culture-driven, focused on familia, overcoming adversity, and legacy. I'm your host, Girado Luis Alvare. Gracias for listening. In this episode, our guest followed his passion on the road less traveled. A tight-knit familia, inspiration from cousin Dame and Casper the Friendly Ghost are some of the many things that have fueled his love for art. Helping others is in his DNA, and the universe has blessed him every step of the way. Please welcome illustrator, concept artist, animator, and founder of Just Scope, Justin Orr. Got my buddy, my friend, my hermano, Justin Orr. Who is Justin Orr? I'm an artist. I'm based in Northern California, Oakland, specifically born and raised. Uh, I've kind of bounced around depending on where I was working throughout my 20s and to my 30s, but I always ended up back here in Oakland. But I'm um, an animator and an illustrator by trade for work. Mostly I travel to combo conventions and sell my art there so I could be where I'm happiest. So that's home. I bought the house next door to where I grew up next to my mom and dad. You know, I get to see the people I love the most every day. So life is pretty good. I can't complain. I want to go back to the beginning. What were some of the cultural influences that to this day you still pull from? Ethnicity wise, like what things influence me as an artist and creative person. So I'm half Filipino on my mom's side and then on pop's side, Italian, Irish, mostly. So my dad and my mom, both artists, right? So when I was real little, 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 and my dad was going to grad school, my dad was getting a master's in ceramics. My mom has always just been a really detailed painter, like with tiny brushes. So just art and the whole family. And I was raised around creative people. There's musicians in the family. Let's say on the Filipino side, it's more artists. My dad's side, my dad was like really the only artist. And he taught art for a while on the high school level, but eventually went into becoming a general contractor and applying his creativeness in building things. So that's what pop does now. But art, was there from the beginning. If I wanted to be a doctor, there, there are no doctors. They were only artists. So <laughs> that's the route I went. I'd say mostly on the Filipino side, we have a cousin who's a singer. His son's a singer. He's also a music producer. I had an uncle who passed away recently. He was like a print master. who's like really influential on me when I was younger to see a working art professional doing art for a living. That was huge. People I've kind of grown up with even as a kid in the neighborhood, you just kind of gravitate towards other artistic people. And weirdly enough to this day, a lot of those guys are still my friends and they're still creative people. You just kept running with the ball because you had so much fun carrying it in the first place. And that's where I am today because of all those guys. So everywhere you looked, there's creativity going on. And you mentioned your uncle, who was a printmaster. What were some of the tools of the trade that you gravitated to? They didn't really have an understanding of what he was doing. I just knew he worked in art. He always had helpful information, just like my dad, about stuff. I think what really got me excited about just drawing 
my cousin Dame, who's like a year and a half older than me, had a comic book collection, right? And my grandmother's house used to keep these two stacks of comic books on the lowest rack of the bookshelf because we're all short. I remember I'd just go through the comics and copy the drawings that I liked. And I was a big Iron Fist fan. And it was mainly because the outfit was super cool to me. And I was like, oh, this character is the coolest. So it was Dame's comic book collection. And my cousin Dame, man, like he is also the reason I'm such a big collector of Japanese toys. Because as a kid, he was the one with the comic books. He was the one with the cool Japanese toys. And if you remember back in like the 70s and 80s, there's a real influx of those toys in toy stores, right? It's not like it is nowadays where it's like American stuff and then things that kind of cross over in terms of subject matters. But in toy stores back in the 70s and 80s, you go into a place like KB Toys, they would have a case of Japanese toys, so my cousin Dame, you know, whenever it was his birthday or he saved up enough money, that's what he would get. He was like the first person I knew that ever had like those little vinyl Ultraman, which as you can see is the reason I'm into this stuff now. I think it's really what got me into being immersed in the nerdy comic book culture. And still to this day, we talk about every episode of whatever Marvel series is out right now. We go see all the movies as a family when they come out because... It's something we're all into and it's unified and it's fun to talk about. Comic books from Dame and his toys got me wanting to be an artist because that's the stuff that got me inspired at a young age. Shout out to Dame. What other inspirations did you draw from in your childhood? And then take me through as you start growing up. I think all kids, especially of our age range, can remember watching cartoons on TV they kind of bunch them together with an hour of Popeye or Looney Tunes or any of those cartoons that you don't even see anymore on TV, Terry Tune stuff, Heckle and Jekyll and Woody Woodpecker. Watching all that stuff, there's actually an episode of Casper the Friendly Ghost where he goes to the animation studio. They explain how they make a cartoon. And I'm like, damn, that is the coolest shit ever. He's in an animation studio and he explains how they do it. And they're sitting at their desks drawing at the discs and they got the little visors on. And I'm like, man, that's what I want to do. From a young age, I was like, I love to draw, but I was like, you can actually do this for a living. And those guys do that for a living. So I wanted to get an animation. I was surrounded by so many creative people in the family. And they're like, definitely, that's what you should do then. So from an early age, I knew I was going to be a guy who draws for a living. There is no plan B. But in this end of Northern California, all there really was, there were companies that did commercial animation. That's where I cut my teeth. And that's where I met a lot of art professionals coming out of college that helped me become a professional artist. What was your go-to cartoon? Adults, a lot of times, take for granted that kids have good taste. One of the things that really stuck with me throughout the years, and I remember it was only on for a short amount of time, but it really resonated with me stylistically and the theme song. There was this cartoon called The Mighty Heroes. Mighty Heroes was a cartoon that had this group of superheroes. It was kind of wacky in a Looney Tunes kind of way, but it was like Rope Man, Strong Man, Diaper Man, Tornado Man. So it was this crew of characters, like four or five superheroes, and they'd fight a villain every week. But it had this great intro with this flag flapping behind it. And it was a Ralph Bakshi cartoon. The lineage of Ralph Bakshi's animated art, I didn't know that I would keep gravitating back to that. 
throughout my career, not even thinking about it until recent years of how all this stuff's attached. So years later, I come to find out that Mighty Heroes, Ralph Bakshi, he was behind the new Mighty Mouse Adventures. It was wacky and the animation was loose and rubbery and it was funny. And that was Ralph Bakshi. And, you know, as a kid, you're not reading the credits. You're just like, I like that. That's cool. I want to do stuff like that. So influential in me wanting to be an animator. And I like that they did it the old school way. And they had a style that was uniquely theirs and not the cookie cutter formulaic thing that was prevalent on TV at the time. So that stuff was big to me. And when I was in my 20s and I was totally garbage at drawing, I thought I was good, but I wasn't studio quality good. I remember going to LA to visit a friend and I went to Spumco where they make Ren and Stimpy. And I walked into office with my portfolio just to see if I could get work and they rejected me, but it was cool. I got to say I was in that building before Spumco went out of business. John Kay turned out to be a very bad human being later, but the art that those guys created was just like, man, nothing like it. It made me want to draw and learn to animate. The humble beginnings of Just Scope are rooted in a family full of creatives. Early influences from Cousin Dame, Casper, Iron Fist, and Japanese toys shaped him as a young artist. The mighty heroes Spumco and Mighty Mouse added more inspiration. Justin kept building his portfolio while learning everything he could. The journey continues with San Francisco State and their animation program. A CalArts rejection leads to an opportunity with San Jose State. Imagination meets the fundamentals which paved the way to the success he has today. And right before I was about to graduate from SF State, my uncle gave me this article about the animation program at San Francisco State. I was like, damn, I'm about to graduate. And now there's an article in the Chronicle or whatever San Francisco newspaper we had over there at that studio. And I was like, man, there's an animation program. That's what I really, really want to do. I can go do graphic design related things, but this isn't the same as me drawing, drawing for a living. So I went back and I reconfigured my design degree to put those animation courses back into it. And I stayed another two or three years and did all the animation courses they had. Here's the thing, like that department wasn't necessarily set up as a good pipeline to get you into animation, but it was on my resume now for my degree. And what it allowed me to do is get an internship to get into an actual animation company and be an intern. And so that's what helped out big time. So I got to be an intern at Wild Brain Animation, which used to be in San Francisco. And they did a lot of commercial animation, like Willy Wonka commercials. And they even did a couple of the early pilots for cartoons that popped up on the Cartoon Network, like Cow and Chicken. It was good and bad at the same time. So I got to go in as an intern to an animation company that drew on paper and flipped on paper, which doesn't exist anywhere in the United States now. <laughs> Within a year or two of me going there, then the industry flipped because it was like the rise of computers and everything. And then all that kind of grunt work went overseas. So all that was left out here was concept art and like pre-production stuff, which I wasn't good enough to be a concept artist yet. And I wasn't badass enough to be one of the guys they'd hired to do storyboards and stuff. I was still a rookie. It's a little disheartening, but I just knew I'm an artist. And so what I had to fall back on was my graphic design degree. So I did every damn art-related job there was 
throughout my 20s just to say I'm a working artist. And some of them were terrible gigs and stuff like I was a web designer at like Yellow Pages, almost like a sweatshop for turning out. <laughs> they didn't care about your artistic ability. They were just like, get us five sites by the end of the night. I'm like, cool, done, slap it together, slap it together. Here you go. So I was doing anything art just to say I'm a working artist because it meant something to me, right? And I didn't want to go do a job that was not art related. So I did a lot of crappy design jobs. The turning point, every time I go out to LA to hang with my friends, Every time I'd be driving back and we passed by Cal Arts out there in Valencia, I'd be like, damn, that's Disney's animation school. I should have went there. I should have went there. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go there. I'm going to apply and I'm going to go to Cal Arts. Here's the thing. Cal Arts is the Disney school of animation, but you will owe them a house in terms of tuition by the time you get out. So what kind of happened was dumb luck. These things fall into place in a weird way. I told Papa, I was like, man, I want to go there and become a Disney animator, right? So he's like, well, it's going to cost this much, but we'll do this and we'll get a loan and do this thing and whatever. And it was like a real strenuous thing, but Papa was like, we're going to do it. So I got all my paperwork in there. I actually went to the school and talked to teachers and they liked what I was doing. And they're like, yeah, with some polishing, you could be really good. Being out here in the Bay Area, I also went and checked out local schools. You know, I went to San Jose State, checked them out. This place in Emeryville is called Expression Center for New Media. And they had like the most state-of-the-art setup I'd ever seen. It was like if Dr. Dre's studio was a freaking school for artists, it was like, wow, this place is way too fancy. I don't know how we'd afford this either. So what happened was in order for me to apply and get into Cal Arts, I had to have an official transcript from San Francisco State and give it to them. So I got the official transcript and not knowing that once you open the envelope, it's not official anymore. I opened up the transcript and I put it in the envelope to them and mailed it off. So I get a letter from Cal Arts and they rejected me because my transcript wasn't official. And I was bummed. Like, this is what I wanted to do. So I took a second trip back to San Jose State. After talking to those guys and seeing the work that those grad students were doing, I knew like, man, this place turns out professional artists. And in order for you to make the jump from being a guy who's like trained in traditional animation, which doesn't exist in the United States anymore, like on paper like that, in order to be a concept artist, I got to be a real well-rounded artist. You got to be rebuilt from the ground up because I could draw, but my anatomy was trashed. My perspective was trashed. My understanding of painting was zero. Like, so I didn't know anything about the basics. So I went to San Jose State and it was the best decision like I ever made as an artist to get my fundamentals straight. I was there for about three years and since I didn't need a degree, I already had one from San Francisco. I just took all the courses I needed, painting and figure drawing and perspective. I got proficient enough in all of those that I was able to look at the art that used to blow my mind and I had no understanding of how a guy could do a layout like that. And now I could deconstruct it because I understood exactly how they did it now. And that was like the matrix for me, man. At one point, my friend Claudia took me to LucasArts to see a friend of hers. And he showed me all the concept art they were doing there. I was mystified. I was like, how the hell can they come up with designs like this and layouts this complex? After going to San Jose, I understood everything. Most artists, when you're self-trained, 
all you know is this glossed over what you look at learning type of thing. It's rare that any person who is in the drawing just starts from the bottom and goes, okay, I'm going to go through this drawing book and I'm going to go draw all the little cylinders and spheres and all that stuff and do the shading the way they tell me. I think if you did that, you're almost like setting yourself up to be just an at-home guy who draws, not an artist who thinks outside the box. Because once I had the fundamental tools, I already had the imagination before that. And now I had the fundamental understanding of anatomy and perspective and painting. And so I knew my colors better. Then it was just like off to the races. And that's really where things shifted over for me. I would go to San Diego Comic-Con just as an attendee before I was there as a professional artist. And before I was there selling my art, I would go there looking for jobs. I'd go to the portfolio reviews and I take everything to heart that those guys would tell me and I'd add it to my portfolio and I'd show up the next year. After my run at San Jose and all those years of going to portfolio reviews, I remember I went back and nearly every place I talked to wanted to hire me. I was like, damn, that was the right decision. Oddly enough, by the time I was this dude that was desirable to be hired, then I didn't really want to work for anybody anymore. So I had one last go around where I worked for Nickelodeon and one of their affiliated MTV media companies. When they were winding down the SF branch where they had that Nickelodeon studio, I was kind of getting burned out on the studio scene. And I knew that even though I've gotten this solid with my drawing and my skills at this point, I didn't want to go back to studios. I didn't want to go move to Southern California. I like it in the Bay Area. So I had always been a fan of comic book conventions. And that's where I decided to spend the next year. So I said, you know what? What if I do a year of these shows and decompress and sell my own art and see how it goes? And it actually went better than I expected. Even though I had chosen a lot of bad shows to do. Like I didn't know what shows were the good ones to do. It worked out well enough where I was like, man, if some fine tuning, I could do this again next year. And I did. And it went really well. And I haven't looked back since. So my art has gotten better because I haven't been working for companies with style guides telling me what and how to draw. And What's been weird about that is now when I'm at these conventions, especially in places in California or when I'm in New York, where there's a lot of media companies, they want to hire me because my stuff looks different. But I don't think I would have ever gotten there if I had jumped from one studio to the next studio to the next studio. It kind of would never have happened if I didn't work on stuff by myself for this long period of time, you know. And now a word from our host, Hidalgo Luis. Did you know, sabias que, cancer affects one in three people in the United States. Chances are that you or someone you know has been affected by cancer. It's never too early to learn how to prevent it. Here's how. Stay healthy by consulting with your doctor to get screened. Stay away from tobacco. Eat healthy and stay active. Be safe in the sun and learn how the HPV vaccine can protect kids. Let's work together to put an end to cancer for good. For more information and resources, visit the American Cancer Society at cancer.org. Ya tu sabe, now back to the show. When you're young and you kind of want to do these things, it's like a momentum thing. So I could have waited around for another year to pass it and reapply to CalArts, but I was like, it, no, nah, in the fall, I'm going to a place to get my drawing skills better. 
And San Jose State was like, hey, man, come on in. You look like you know what you're doing. You got a history. Just do it. So I was like, I'm going there. Best decision I ever made. Kudos to those dudes and their program they run there. And to this day, especially if I run into any young artists in California who are talking about going to Academy of Art or Art Institute, I'm like, save your money. Go where they'll give you fundamentals because computer programs you can get anywhere. You can get those at a community college these days. They'll teach you 3D stuff or After Effects or any of those kind of things. But you have the fundamentals, you can do anything. And your understanding of those programs, it'll come to you much easier. And you don't have to pay, like I said, a house note when you're done. When I was out of San Jose State, I was good. I had enough money to pay for each semester. It worked out perfectly. It's like I have somebody looking down making sure I make the right, wrong decisions for the right reasons. One of the things that I think is probably most overlooked in all of this, if you want to be a professional artist, is perseverance, man. Because I've met some super talented kids and creative people in general are like very sensitive people. So sometimes it doesn't really go hand in hand to take a lot of rejection or to have somebody say, oh, that's not right. Do it again. That's wrong. So I've seen it where super talented young artists can't take the criticism. They get beat back into a corner by it and they never emerge again. Right. So for me, I was like, I got thick skin about taking constructive criticism. I was able to listen and take it when it was applicable. I was like, yeah, I do need to work on this. Yeah. I see that hole in my game. I got to patch that up. So I think perseverance, man, like if it's something you want to do, keep moving towards it, but also be self-critical to the point where you know, you know what? My jumper sucks. I got to really work on my jumper. It's like, yeah, I can do this, this and pass the ball, but my three-point shot sucks. I better spend time on that because really you're your own worst critic, but you also know, I mean, if you're honest with yourself, what you need to work on. So for me, asking guys who are willing to answer those questions, especially from the animation studio days and guys I met along the way who knew more than I did, that was invaluable too. You got to ask questions and be persistent with it and be honest about your holes in your game and how to fix them. And then you could do it. It's weird because it's not like rocket surgery, they say, right? It seems pretty damn straightforward, but you don't want to be like, oh man, I wish I had only done this or I wish I had tried that if only I gave it another shot. Like I said, I was doing any art job just to say I was an artist, even if it wasn't a job I liked or was really inspired to do. It's because, man, this is what I'm going to do. And I need it in my life. Without it, I'm going to be a sad, boring dude, man. (laughs) I don't want to be a sad, boring guy. I kind of want to enjoy life and the stuff that I do, the people I do it with. Perseverance is so key. It helped me kind of keep going. And then when it got to the point where I could have got the jobs I wanted in my 20s, I didn't want them anymore. I wanted something else. I wanted to work for myself in my own studio all the time. And that's where I landed. In addition to all these things, what has this journey taught you? It's one of those things where when you look back on it, especially like as a young artist, when you finally get your foot in the door of a place, you remember the people who helped you. Every time I got in somewhere, it's like one guy. Two guys. You would think everybody would be hella helpful, but you get a lot of grouchy people who are like, don't even want to say good morning when you pass them in the hallways. That was really my experience when I got into Wild Brain as an intern. 
man, the amount of unfriendly ass faces I see in the morning, directors and stuff, like you say, good morning. They wouldn't even say good morning to you. Like I got around that. The thing that mattered most was there was one dude. <laughs> I was making photocopies because apparently that was like my number one task when I was an intern. I remember this one guy who on his lunch break would always come in there. He's like, oh, so you're an intern. You're an artist, right? And I was like, yep, yep. And he goes, what kind of art do you do? And he just asked me and I said, well, he's like, do you have your portfolio? And I was like, yeah. So bring it by whenever you get a chance. I'm Victor. I sit over there. My buddy, Victor Gascon, he was an animator at Wild Brain. He just was interested in me being an artist and wanted to see what I was doing. So I went over there and showed him stuff. And he was the guy who actually kind of became like a dude who would answer any of my questions, right? He didn't have to do that. So it also turned out that Victor lived in Oakland, just like me. Sometimes on those days, I would be, you know, on my way out. I'd give him a ride home. He'd answer every question I had before you know it. Anytime I need a recommendation about like, how do I draw this? Or how do you draw this cityscape? He'd say, well, you check out this book I have. And he'd photocopy the book and he'd send me a page. Look at this. That was invaluable. So when I think about Victor and then their animation director, Roger Dondas, who's just like a freak of nature machine, right? That guy on the weekends, he'd have little projects going and he'd just invite whoever wanted to come in to help out with his projects and he teaches stuff, right? So Roger, on those weekends, I'd go in there, just learn how to animate like a guy works in a studio. But those dudes didn't have to take that time and they did. So to this day, there's a ton of artists who, if they ask me a question, I'll answer the out of it. Like, I want you to know what I know so you have to stumble over the shit I did on the way to where I am now doing this. And it's one of those things where you're paying it forward the same way the guys that helped you when you started, even for doing conventions, right? A dude that a lot of guys would ask questions to, and he would always answer him is Sean Galloway. Cheeks is like a dude that, to me, honestly, he doesn't get enough props for being the guy that ushered in animated design being on the convention scene. People could point to this guy and that guy for being a dude. I'm like, it was Sean. Cheeks, when he showed up on the scene with his very simplified animated design style, it was simple and elegant and just beautiful. It was so cool that comic books started having art that looked like that. And he even did some comic book art that looked like that. But he was kind of this animation designer. But what made Sean super cool was that he'd answer every damn question you had. I know part of the time he wouldn't remember who you were, but he'd shine it on like he remembered you. And if you told him something that you accomplished, he'd be like, that's really good, man. You did it. So I know he does that for a lot of people because even at times I find myself doing that where people are like, you inspired me to do this. You remember me? And I'm like, I totally remember you. In saying that, I remember how Sean answered all my questions. It was very nice. And then over time, he actually got to know me, right? You remember those dudes, man, because they didn't have to help you or be enthusiastic about your enthusiasm. And they were. And that's a big thing. So I always try and pay it forward and answer questions. Even other guys at the convention scene or friends of mine who are artists, if they want to know how to do this, I tell them everything I know. I got guys who text me stuff still like, hey, when do I sign up for that show? I'm like, well, you got to be online at this time or hit this guy up, email him and ask him because he could hook you up. So is that stuff. Plus, you know, you don't want to create a bunch of enemies on the road. 
you want to see people you're happy to see. And a lot of those people happy to see you, it makes your job that much more fun. So running into dudes who you've helped, it just makes for a better overall atmosphere when you're at your conventions. The one thing with this perseverance, persistence, constructive feedback, how did this mantra help you pull through 2020? In 2020 with the pandemic, it once again goes back to what kind of artistic drive do you have, right? So I have some artist friends who are just totally shut down, like they're too depressed or they're too bummed out by the year. Then you had other artists like on my side of the fence who are like, oh man, I got a year to work on whatever I want. That's what it was for me. If you've ever talked to me any time in the recent five, six past years or so, I'm always talking about my animated cartoon project that I want to work on. Now I had a year to work on it. And I tell you, it's been the most fun I've had creatively since college when I was learning stuff. And I'm talking to San Francisco State days when I didn't know anything and anything I learned was super exciting. So I'm kind of reconnecting with my traditional animation roots over this last year. So for me, it was just like, damn, I got a year off to do this. As another side note, for me working for myself for the last seven or so years, I've been able to save more money doing that than I have been working in studios. And that's part of the excitement of doing these shows because it's kind of limitless the amount of money you can earn when you're at the shows. That's kind of part of the fun of it. You're like, can I do better than I did the last time? So I was able to save enough money where I was like, even say if I didn't get any government assistance from unemployment, I'd have been good for two or three years if I don't pay for anything except the bills that I need to pay. For me, it was like, man, open slate just to get things done that I always wanted to do. So by the time I do get back to shows like full time in 2022, man, I'm gonna have a bunch of new stuff to show that'll be particularly like important to me because it's my personal project stuff. You know, I have a lot of pop culture print stuff that it's not my intellectual property. They're all my designs out of my head and everything. And I love making this stuff, but I've had this animated cartoon and this universe of characters of my own I wanted to show. And now I have enough stuff to show. I think if we do get conventions in the last quarter this year, I'll have enough to put a trailer together and start building up the interest in it. And what's cool about it is my library of prints that I have already covers me being at the shows. So now I have my own thing and I don't have to worry about it being the project that pays for all the bills. I'm just proud to have it. And I wouldn't have had it if it wasn't for this pandemic year. I've just tackled it like head on, man. I'm enjoying working on it every day. The difference between making like a book for me and making a cartoon is you're like a director. I got people doing voice stuff. We're doing music for it. And I'm plotting out a fight sequence. It's pretty damn fun. The overall thing with this project too, to involve creative people that I'm close to that we'd never worked on anything together. And by me being more of like a film director and putting this project together, I could pull in whoever I want. What is legacy to you? What does that mean? What you leave behind, right? When I think about legacy, it's what we talked about earlier, paying it forward, handing the ball off to other guys so they could get moving faster. So when I think of legacy, I think of the pay it forward aspect. As far as like the stuff that I'm creating, it's weird because it shifted over time. Like when I was younger, I would have been like, oh, well, 
I want to work on a Disney thing. I want to work on this thing and a Pixar thing and blah, blah, blah. But when I had a chance to do that stuff, I realized, you know what? Being a cog in that machine doesn't really mean anything to me. So that's honestly why the animated project means so much is because that means something to me because I get a chance to work with the people I love. So for me, it's leaving behind good stuff that you're proud of, whether it's a cartoon or whether it's your family, any of those things that you leave behind that you're proud of, do your best, man. For me, it's that. It's making good art, helping other guys get on that path. I'm not really complicated to the point where I'm like, you know what? My legacy is the film company is really just doing what an artist should do is making stuff you're proud of that whether it's recognized or not, it speaks volumes about who you were, the best representation of what the good things about what you did creatively. And even tied up within that is if it's the people that you love and you get to work with them and they're involved in it, that's part of it. Positive, good stuff that you're proud of at the end. Gracias, Justin, for sharing your inspirational journey on becoming one of the most influential artists in the game. There's no doubt the best is yet to come, my friend. For all my listeners, kindly rate and review the show. Five stars and a little love go a long way. Check the show description for more info on where you can find Justin via social media. Next week, we'll feature artist and muralist, Miss Lushy. Tune in and tell a friend. Hasta la próxima. Palante.